welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I'm David Bax. And thank you for listening. David. Yes. How you doing? Oh, man. It's been a while since we recorded, mm-hmm. but we took exactly the right break because I have essentially been, I was sick essentially from the last time we recorded until like this morning. Uh, I had the worst cold. One, one of the worst colds I've ever had. Really? Uh, it, yeah, especially in terms of just long lasting. I don't, you know, normally when I have a cold, it's like three or four days. Yeah, This yeah. was like over a week. It was like a week and a half long cold. Um, maybe not quite a week and a half, but over a week of being, of having a cold. That's not normal And it's been me. hot in Los Angeles. I can't imagine having a cold when yeah. it's hot. It was awful. And oh. it was to the point, like, I took so much time off work that it was like Saturday. I was like, I have to run it. Like, there's shit that I have to do. I have to run errands. And so... I was like sick to the point of dizziness. Yeah. And I had to go get my haircut because I was like, it's been too long. I need a haircut. So I'm sitting in the chair, like gripping the things to try and not to fall out of the chair because like the world is spinning because I'm so sick. Man, oh man. Uh, but I think my hair turned out okay. That's, that's the upside. It's, you know what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I would never know. I would never know you were sick based on that head of hair. But um, we have a sponsor. We do. We have a new sponsor, David. Welcome I- them into the fold. All right. This episode is sponsored by Mubi, M-U-B-I. I feel like it's Mubi, not Mubi. Oh, <laughs> that, now that's all. I want to say Mubi. Let's not. Let's not do that because they did give us money. Um, uh, this episode is sponsored by Mubi, a curated online cinema that brings its members a hand-picked selection of the best independent, international, and classic films. Every day, Mubi's curators introduce a new title, and you have 30 days to watch it. That means there's always 30 wonderful films to enjoy, all for only $4.99 a month. Plus, when you use their mobile apps, you can download films to watch offline. There are a lot of great movies available right now, among them Little Fugitive, directed by Morris Engel, Ray Ashley, and Ruth Orkin. This is a wonderful little film that is said to have influenced the French New Wave, a perfect little snapshot of childhood. Little Fugitive is a really effective film that I really enjoyed. Uh, I picked that one specifically from what's available. I, I right. think Little Fugitive is wonderful. Uh, and there's, there's other good stuff right now. Uh, but here's the thing, everybody. There's a special offer for listeners of Battleship Pretension. You can try Mubi free for a month. Just go to Mubi.com. Just to remind you, that's M-U-B-I dot com slash Battleship to redeem that right now. I love it. All right. I love it. Well, you know what else I love? What's that? Having guests on the podcast. Do you love that? I do, actually. I, I'm, I'm, I'm on the fence. Yeah? I don't know. I feel like I get to I feel like this is the episode bit. that'll really <laughs> bring me down one way or the other. <laughs> this is going to be, this episode will be a crucible of sorts. Oh, my, yes. Uh, anyway, so why don't you introduce our guest? All right. Because I've never met him until a few minutes ago. Yeah. David, what do you think so far? <laughs> so far, so good. Okay, all right. So, all right. <clears throat> it was many years ago. I don't remember how this happened, but a, uh, a short film fell into my hands, the name of which I've already forgotten because I, I only remember the, the feature film that came from that short film. Uh, can our name at the moment, nameless guest, remind me the name of the short film? A Bloody Mess. A Bloody Mess. That's the one. And I really enjoyed it and, and uh, wrote, uh, one could make the argument too lengthy an article about it, but, uh, and uh, kept up with the, uh, this filmmaker ever since. And when he uh, told me that he had uh, expanded that film into something uh, larger, I was very excited to watch it. And he uh, 
he sent it to me and I reviewed it for Battleship Pretension. That that film is called The Backseat. And so he is in town and I said, you got, you got to be a guest. There's no question about it. His name is Ryan O'Leary. He's Hello. here now. How are you? Great. How are you guys? <laughs> not bad. I've, we're glad to have you on. I have not seen The Bloody Mess or The Backseat. Good I'm job. Sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, I just wanted to put my cards up on the table here, yeah. make it clear. It's good to lead with that. Yeah, yeah that I that I didn't didn't see it. Here's the thing: I have also not seen them. I just took, <laughs> I just took what I consider to be educated guesses. Um, so yeah, let's let's get to know you a little bit, uh, Ryan. Before we get to our other sponsors, which is the only reason we do this show anymore. Um, so. Uh, <laughs> uh, okay, Ryan, tell us about yourself. Uh, where are you from? Where do you hail from? I hail from the great state of New Jersey, Springsteen County, um, Monroe Township, New Jersey. Springsteen County is not a place. <laughs> I, say that I, I assumed as much. I mean, as yeah. someone from Jersey who doesn't resent Bruce Springsteen, I'll say that. Uh, are there people, people that... Uh, there we go. Yeah. Do people resent Bruce Springsteen? Oh, in Jersey, yeah. There's people who are like, oh my God, I can't listen. But Springsteen's great, especially if you go yeah, like beyond... Even the stuff on Born in the USA, which just sounds very 80s, which is what everyone thinks of when they hear Springsteen. Like, there's great writing there, and he's just done so much. I, yeah. I love Springsteen, but growing up you sort of resent him because that's usually the name that gets attached and he gets lumped in with bon jovi that's what i was going to ask question how do you feel about john bon jovi he's fine for a pop star (laughs) 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 like you know he's not not bad i used to tell people when they asked where i lived i would say sayerville which is where because i'm near sayerville which is where bon jovi's from but then they had that incident with uh the football team the high school football team have you guys heard i didn't hear about this Mm -hmm. is it gonna upset me it's really upsetting children being abused by coaches oh my other players and that's what people know yeah it's dropped within the last month i was out of the country when i found out about it and I met a few people this week out here in California, and I brought up, oh, sort of near Sayreville, and they brought that up before Bon Jovi, and that's oh. kind of depressing. Oh, jeez. Especially for Bon Jovi. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's, he's been replaced. I, <laughs> I think he's going to make it okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, okay, so, uh, so let's, let's jump into film a little bit. Uh, when did you first start getting into so, – I'm sorry, did you – I forgot to ask you uh, if you're a New Jersey Devils fan. There we go. I don't follow hockey at all. I played briefly, and I played goalie, and I was pretty good for someone like my age that never played before. But everyone else on my team, like, we had a weak defense. And uh, so, you know, there were a lot more shots on me, and we lost a lot, and they always blamed it on me. And that's when I uh, quit hockey forever. And it's (laughs) so – but – I would be. I think I would be a Rangers fan though if I kept following it because okay. that's my dad had season tickets back ah. in the day. We used to go a lot to that. But, okay, yeah. just I uh, had to had to ask. But thank you for that. <laughs> I knew. I I felt like we were missing something. Yeah, there's the like, alienate Tyler by talking about sports segment. Yeah, that I forgot about. Yeah, thanks for that. <laughs> um, so yeah, so let's uh, let's get into into movies a little bit, specifically your history with movies. Um, did you were you raised a movie fan or did you sort of discover it uh, later on and decide this is a thing I want to do? Give it, tell us everything. Okay, everything. Yep. Okay, so I wasn't raised a movie fan. Um, I remember seeing like Dazed and Confused and The Breakfast Club when I was way too young, probably like around seven or eight. Like my mom had the VHS tapes and I really did not like them because why would I? I was that old. And I was not a movie person until probably halfway through high school, probably my sophomore year. 
I took like a civics class because I thought I wanted because I was really into punk rock and I wanted to fight the system from within. Mm -hmm. So I took a civics class, but half the year that was like a film history type class. And I got introduced to Citizen Kane in the heat of the night, Philadelphia, just like a weird mix of older movies. And that's when I learned they were more than things that would just make you laugh or entertain you. And from that, I went through, you know, the phases of Kevin Smith, Tarantino, pretty much everything that any American high school kid went through. And by the end of high school, I took a class where we were actually like using cameras, making stuff. And it came kind of naturally. Like I've always been involved with music, but like it was a struggle to like learn how to play guitar. Like it took me way too long to get barely acceptable at that. Whereas like the film stuff, I don't know, it just it felt really natural. And and then eventually, by the time I got into like film school, it was kind of just a way to express myself as awful as that sounds but just writing like personal things that i wouldn't find in like another form and it just felt really at ease and comfortable so so the it, it's interesting just the way you said like okay so you start you go into a class that ostensibly has nothing to do with film but not unlike my own american government class my sophomore year of high school uh we wound up watching a bunch of movies uh by that time i was already into into movies but uh but that kind of thing happens actually a, a surprising amount. And so those are the movies that got you thinking of film as a potentially different thing. Uh, beyond that, can you point to a handful of titles and say, those are what made me want to do this thing? And if not, that's that's fine. Not everybody has that. I, I think that changes. Like there's like the first few were definitely with Kevin Smith. Because, like, the way his characters talked was so just different than anything. And then chasing Amy, especially to, like, a 16-year-old back in, like, the early 2000s, like, that was edgy and different. And the way he looked at kind of relationships was kind of weird. And um, and it was just, like, you know, Tarantino. But then as, as I got older and throughout film school, it became guys like David Gordon Green. Mm-hmm. who were, like, I didn't know, like, he had sequences of, like you know, like weird machinery in a field in the middle of like all the real girls or something. So it was like kind of people like that. And like, that's something for me that always changed. Like for some reason I was really into Peter Jackson's King Kong when that came out. Mm -hmm. I don't know why now I've watched it again. It's not very good except for the ice sequence. Um, I would agree. But that was, but that was like a movie for me. I don't know. It just felt so big and it felt like it was some took place just somewhere totally different. And just, you know, not really being someone who went to the movies much, that kind of changed the way I looked at things. And then, like, I think one of the first, like, great movies that I saw in theaters that it sort of clicked with was um, was Zodiac. I saw that with uh, some friends thinking, oh, it's a new David Fincher movie, he did Fight Club, whatever. And I remember thinking it was really great, but not necessarily being on the edge of my seat. Like, there was, I couldn't explain what it was about it. And then revisiting it, that was kind of, like, one of those movies. I feel like that was, like, the first, like, masterpiece type thing that i saw yeah whereas everything before that was kind of just whatever people were talking about or people in high school wanted to say how so how, wait, how old were you in 2007 when zodiac when came zodiac out? came out i think i was 16 because that came out early in the year and i had to have my girlfriend at the time drive me there which was fun <laughs> and, yeah and I, I remember too that was one of those uh movies that was before i learned like oh i should go to the bathroom before the movie starts and i had to leave for like two seconds <laughs> i remember just running to the bathroom yeah and coming back and and they caught and they caught the guy <laughs> yeah man, two oh, hours man. and 42 minutes yeah that's how long zodiac is yeah um, it's you know it's interesting uh, oh sorry but it's interesting uh your age wise your your 2007 is our 1999, yes. almost exactly. Like, they're two great years. Yeah. Then we were would have been about the same ages uh, yeah. mm-hmm. for those two years. So yeah. I, I feel like there's probably a wave of American cinephiles 
a couple of waves like based on those two years uh probably i feel like there's probably uh i could see 94 being a big year for yeah. people force gump you're gonna say pulp fiction but no. that's but <laughs> I, I but also it's just, it's such an interesting slate of movies because you also had like shawshank you had quiz show you had ed wood uh, right. four wings and a funeral just an interesting blend of film uh along with uh pulp fiction i believe clerks was that year yeah clerks. and so so like I feel like ninety four and then maybe before that I don't know maybe nineteen ninety nineteen eighty nine but uh, yeah every every five six maybe seven years there seems to be something but um, what I was going to say is uh, with Zodiac that idea that you're watching something and you just you can't even put your finger on it but it's just amazing uh, and that you call it a, a masterpiece which is a I would des- I would describe that film that way I believe we have. Um, in that 2007 episode that is available for a dollar twenty nine, it's all about money here at Battleship Pretension. Yeah. Um, we're, not, we're not doing this just for for our health. Yeah, the first seven years were about that, <laughs> um, but it, we're coming off on 400 episodes, so it's time to cash in. Yeah. Um, but uh, it's interesting, you know, you when you f- discover film as an art form, you get into it, and chances are, at least this is the case for me, but a lot of people that I know. They wind up looking backwards and looking ju- just looking at film history and seeing all the different movies that are amazing. And you sort of catch up a little bit. And then comes the day when you realize, oh, they still make movies <laughs> that are this good. They're, they can still do this. And I remember for me, 97 was a good year for me for that. Because 95, 96, I was getting into movies... Um, but I think 97 was the first year where I would actually venture out into the theater with this expectation. And when I saw, I mean, for me, it was LA confidential when I realized, Oh, this is not just the past. If you know where to look now, applying what you've learned from, uh, past films, you can actually see these now. And so I saw that. I saw The Apostle. I saw Wag the Dog. I saw Jackie Brown. I saw Deconstructing Harry. I saw just an interesting blend of film. 97 is a good year, too, by the way. But, um, and, uh, and so it sounds like for you, I mean, 2007 is certainly a good year for that kind of thing. Um, it sounds like Zodiac was a film like that for yeah. you. I also, in 2007, I saw Juno when it was in limited release. I saw it as a double feature with Kite Runner, which I just remembered recently. So I went what from, weird theater was this? This was at the AMC the drive-in. in Lincoln, <laughs> no, Lincoln Center AMC, the one, one of the few like big IMAX theaters left that still plays film in Manhattan. I went with my one of my friends from high school and had this weird like mandate where we saw Kite Runner and then Juno, and it was very weird seeing those two movies. <laughs> Uh, I, I fall in the camp of liking Juno, but I kind of get the screenplay issues. I remember the first 15 minutes of it. And I guess this happens like each time I watch it where I'm just like, why are they talking like this? <laughs> but getting getting beyond that, I, I like it quite a bit. But yeah, I, I think we saw a Kite Runner first. And then for Juno, we ended up sitting in the front row because it was completely sold out. And it's it just weird time but you know that was the same year as like so many like that was there will be blood i saw at the same theater and it was the first time i saw a movie in a theater that had like an upper level that was packed and it was all like film people going to see it and it was it was just like such a different like a balcony yeah like a balcony because it's where they have like premieres and stuff in new york oh, so okay. seeing it there and just like taking the train for an hour to get to the city to see it and like that was the year that kind of started that stuff for me and just because like i don't 
like where I lived in Jersey and where I went to, I went to college in Long Island, like in Dix Hills, which is like halfway out. So like the smaller movies wouldn't necessarily find their way out there for a long time. So that was like when I started just making trips to see two or three things at a time with friends and it was a good year to start with that. Yeah. That would, I, I find myself, I find myself sometimes envious of people who discovered film around a certain time. Like for example, like 2000 being 16, being a, a 16 year old film lover in 2007 and it just, and every time you venture out into the theater, that's the year. And so you're but probably I, see, seeing I, something I don't good. have that jealousy because 99 was mine. That is true. Yes. The fact that the year I got my driver's license was 1999 is yeah. I, it's so formative. Like I'm, it's it's a big. It, like I I am who I am largely because of that. Because growing up in a family with four kids, you know, mm-hmm. and not having not having a lot of friends, period, much less a lot of friends who were into movies, yeah. until I had a car, like access to a car, mm-hmm. um, I didn't get to go to a lot of the movies that I wanted to go to. And it's not like I was being deprived. It just didn't work out that I guess, way. And so, yeah, I uh, got to go to movies when every weekend, something like uh, three Kings or being John Malkovich or the thinnered line or, or, uh, all, the, Mr. all Ripley. of the others. Yeah. All yeah. the 1999 movies. Yeah. Yeah. Those are all movies I saw in the theater. I guess what I, what I mean to say is, I mean, obviously we had that and I'm very happy that we were able to see those uh, in the theater at, during such, so formative a time. It has more to do with this idea. I recently rewatched uh, citizen Kane, uh, on Blu-ray, and uh, it is, as one would assume, one of the most gorgeous things you'll ever see. <laughs> um, and um, Mr. Thatcher, the guy who takes uh, a young Charles Foster Kane, takes him in. Um, he's talking about uh, all the different places that Charles is going to go, and he says, "Oh, I wish I was, I wish I was a young boy going on a trip like that for the first time." Uh-huh. And just it's this idea of seeing things that he's already familiar with, but seeing them through new eyes. By the time we I apologize if this sounds condescending. Uh, by the time we got to 2007, we were what, fairly, fairly seasoned. I, I was gonna, I'd say seasoned. Right. But I still think I go in. Uh, I mean, I, I think actually, this is we're getting away from our guest here. But I'll say this: I'll bring him back in. Um, at that time, I think I was still able to hang on to a lot of that wonder, and I still fight to do it now. I would say. In to, in 2011, when we turned into just a podcast from just a podcast mm-hmm. into a website that reviews movies, and we became film critics who go to press screenings and stuff, it has changed in ways that I don't necessarily like. It has changed my, just my demeanor when I walk into uh, a movie theater, or in this case, more often than not, a screening room. Now, yeah, um, in yeah, in ways that I don't like. Um, so. But in 2007, I still think I was I was wowed by movies, and I, well, I was especially wowed by Zodiac because yeah. I was not a David Fincher fan at the time that I saw that movie. Yeah, um, and I am now. I still don't like the movie. That, I still don't like the pre Zodiac movies, but uh, I'm a fan of his now. All right, back to the back games. to business. Have you seen Gone Girl? This is what's important. Yes, uh, and did you love it? I liked it quite a bit. I felt like um, it had a lot of the stuff that Zodiac had going for it, but it was more. It was lighter and more fun, more like trashy. So yeah, it was like, it was much more of a good time. Um, with that said, like the ending without getting into what it is left me going like, I feel like David Fincher went with that ending. And I know it's pretty much what it was in the book, despite what they said. But I feel like he went with that just to be like, I'm David Fincher. Fuck you. <laughs> I'm not going to give you what you want. Uh-huh. So and that that kind of bothered me because I felt like that went 
beyond whatever. But uh, yeah, I liked Gone Girl quite a bit. I loved it. Yeah. Um, what were we talking about? Uh, oh, we were we were going through uh, your history. Now you mentioned that you went to film school. Yeah, oh, that's what I was I was going to mention. Which also has nothing to do with the guest, but movie theaters with balconies. Yeah. It's very rare. It's Are there any left rare. in Los Angeles? Is the El Capitan have a balcony? Yes, it does. Uh, I've never been up there. I've been it's to awesome. the El Capitan, I love but it. I've never seen a movie in the balcony. And uh, one of the theaters at the AMC at the um, at City Walk has a balcony. Oh, that's right. I saw, the second time I saw Dark Knight, Dark Knight Rises, I was on the balcony. The second time I saw uh, uh, Harry Potter and the... Uh, Order of the Phoenix was in the balcony there. Do, do you know what else used to have a balcony? I mean, it, it might still be there. The theater's closed now. Mm-hmm. But do you remember the, the uh, it's on, um, like, Sepulveda and Van Nuys. Not Sepulveda and Van Nuys. Those don't meet. Um, Ventura in Van Nuys, I think. It's the Van Nuys Theater. It's not there anymore. It's right by uh, the Pineapple Hill Saloon where I know you used to play trivia, right? No? thought you did never mind no maybe it's, maybe it's a different one um and i don't know the theater you're talking well it's about. not there anymore i mean oh, it's okay. closed but i saw observant report there with okay. my now wife then girlfriend we were the only people in the theater and we sat in the balcony it was pretty cool did it all make it out there uh no we were watching observant report yes i guess that is not a film to make out <laughs> yeah, to. the guy uh, running around exactly yeah the d- very uncomfortable uh, humorous rape scene mm-hmm. didn't get you going. Um, uh, man, no, that's, that, <laughs> this, it's a weird. I was about to say, man, that's a good movie. That's but that, weird, that wouldn't have been a yeah. good transition. Yes. Okay. So movies, uh, movie theaters with balconies were all in agreement are awesome. Yeah, they're pretty great. We're also in agreement that in agreeance is not a real word. Absolutely. Okay. My boss just said it today and I didn't correct her because she's my boss. <laughs> um, but uh, it's in agreement. Uh, Do you anyway. find yourself dying just a little bit? I mean, Not really, but like anytime somebody says that and you don't correct them because you know, like, well, I'm going to be an asshole if I correct them. Right. So I, I guess I'm going to take the hit on this. And then you realize, you know, my wow, boss I'm is, taking a lot of hits these days. Um, it's going to sound like I'm bragging about my day job. My boss is someone that I actually like and respect. So it doesn't bother me. It's like, ah, she got it wrong. If this was a person that I didn't like, who was going around saying things like in agreeance? Yeah, I would be, oh, would set my teeth on edge. Okay. But I, I just let it all off my back because it's I like my boss. Ca- it's a delightful character quirk with somebody you like. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. okay. Film school, where'd you go? I went to Five Towns College in Dix Hills, Long Island, and it's not that great of a place. <laughs> um, they changed, basically when I was there, they changed the film department staff three times in the four years I was there. So they had the same people for the first two years, which is pretty good. And they kind of let us just make whatever we wanted. But then the third and fourth year, they cleaned house multiple times. And they did that to other departments. And it was all because of this guy running the school. The owner was just this crazy old man. He looked like the emperor from Star Wars. And it was that was terrible. What was cool about the school, though, was it wasn't like some of the more prestigious schools like NYU, Columbia, SVA, where you have to go in and there's this expectation that you're going to make films that really mean something Whereas at my school, it was where, like, a lot of the less ambitious students went. So for someone like me who just wanted to make stuff, we had a great equipment room. We had a studio and everything. So I got to make multiple films a year. And, like, my senior year, I did four, including, like, two. One of them was, like, a Jesus Christ horror film where Jesus comes after some bad priests. Like, it was really dumb. But if I went to any other school, they would have probably not been willing to give me equipment to do that, especially as, like, a side project. So like I can't I can't say too many bad things, but they weren't particularly supportive. And when I went on to make 
my feature film, they sort of gave us permission to shoot there. And then when it, the time came to do it, they wouldn't let us. So that happened, too. <laughs> so I can't, I can't endorse Five Towns College. But I, I heard the guy who was running the school, actually, they, like, voted him out somehow. Like, hmm. he's no longer in charge. So may, maybe it's all right. But um, they're also famous because um, they claim because some of the people from Maroon 5 went there because it's mm-hmm. also like a big performance arts music school. They claim that the Maroon came from the school's colors. But I think that's total bullshit. <laughs> Maroon 5, like, come on, why would they brag about that? Right. How, well, how many of the five went to? I don't know. I I don't know about Maroon 5, but I know what the Strokes, What's the name of the, the college? singer, went there. Five Towns College. Okay, so it's Maroon, and it's called yeah, Five, five Towns. Towns. It sounds Towns. like Maroon there's something five. to think there. I, I still think they're reaching, though, because no one would be... That's not a school you go to, and you're like, hey, guys, I went to Five Towns College. It's like a you know, it's like a commuter school that happens to have dorms on it, but it, oh, it was bad news. I, Having recently... But the band, uh, the band MU330 named themselves mm-hmm. after the music room in their high school. Yeah, but they probably... And they were terrible, too. But they probably, like, learned stuff there. They got to do cool <laughs> things. Like, if you went to Five Towns, like, I don't know, you kind of... It sounds like the best thing you they did there was just to leave you alone and let you do that what was you wanted. When it, yeah, that was it. And some of the staff was great. Um, one of the... RoboCop, the original RoboCop, had two cinematographers on it, and mm-hmm. one of them taught cinematography at my school, and by the time I had him, he was kind of losing it a little and we would do like late night shoot projects in the studio and, and when he'd get tired he'd start calling people betty which was his wife's name but he was awesome <laughs> and he told crazy stories about stanley kubrick bringing like a gun to set on some shoot that he did so that was like there was good staff within the school it's just how they were managed it was kind of impossible for any department to grow and so I, I don't want to come down on it too much though because I got, I got to make weird no stuff. i don't think you're being too yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> It is quick, we have another sponsor. Oh, yes, we do. Uh, good call. Um, let me pull this up. Okay, this episode is sponsored by Aperture, providing quality movie-making equipment at an affordable price. Now, I know, I know a number of independent filmmakers. I'm sitting across the table from one right now, and they've often told me about the high price of equipment rental and the even higher price to purchase the equipment. Aperture is committed to helping independent filmmakers and photographers achieve their dream without going bankrupt. To find out more, just click on the ad at BattleshipPretension.com. Uh, and also, uh, where you want to go, uh, it's also on BattleshipPretension.com, Tweaked Audio. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's where you get professional quality earbuds in a variety of uh, styles and colors. Uh, they sound great. I use them all the time. It's TweakedAudio.com. And if you go to TweakedAudio.com slash pretension, you get one third off. They're already low, low price and no shipping charges. That's TweakedAudio.com slash pretension. So let's get into it shall we yeah, okay let's get into the thing that what, Tyler, what is the it well there's a thing that tyler couldn't wait to talk about all right so here's the deal we'll get to your movie in a minute all right <laughs> all right you and i had a conversation via skype uh, a couple months ago and it was a fun conversation it was fun getting to know you here's the funnest part i know it's most fun no i but, yeah, I, but I, yeah there was a there's a wink in your voice. Yes. I'm trying to be like, I'm trying to capture the childlike glee with which I'm talking about this. <laughs> uh, so I asked you what your, what your day job was. And I apologize. Uh, all three of us here, we all have day jobs. I happen to do mine at night, but we all have day jobs. So there's, you know, there's no shame in saying that you have a day job because yours is awesome. And also, yeah, I, mine, I also like my job. Like I call it a day job, but it's not like it's just, I like my job because it allows me to do the thing. It's given me some, it's, 
Photoshop, so it's given me skills that I've been able to right. apply towards other things, and it allows me to do the things that I want to do, which is nice. I just, I, I know we're, I'm stepping in your thing here, but I feel bad because I refer to my job as my day job mm-hmm. um, as a way of sort of deflecting attention from it. But I also right. want to make it clear that I do work, it's like I do have a job that I like in the field that I like. But I feel like and, until you are willing to say what it is, I can characterize it however I want. Okay, and so I you, feel like you're, you, you've told me in the past right. you hate your job and the right. people you work with. So essentially, I work like where Tom Hanks worked at the beginning of Joe versus the Volcano, <laughs> <laughs> just exactly. staring at fluorescent lights. Another another day older and deeper in debt. <laughs> yeah. Um, All right. Sorry. But that's enough about uh, David's horrible day job <laughs> and my pretty good uh, night job. Uh, I asked you what you do to make money, to make ends meet. And you told me a glorious answer that made me want to hug you through Skype. And we're going to spend longer on it than you want to. Uh, Ryan, what, Ryan, what do you do for a living? Um, I'm a private detective. Private detective. Holy <laughs> shit. Damn right you are. Now, you said uh, that that profession is not nearly as interesting as one would assume. Because uh, it I mostly to- involves just... Sitting in a chair. In a car. Not in a chair. You don't bring up your chair and say, oh, no, no I'm, I'm uh, to me, In you. my mind, it mostly involves sitting in the chair in your office right. and smoking and mm-hmm. waiting for a dame to walk through the door. Yeah. That's most, that's like 90% or, of it is just waiting on dames. Or just adventure. Just, you okay. know, to be drawn into adventure. Dames, adventure, and let's say the occasional, I don't know, black bird. Uh, what have you, you know? So I have to assume it's exactly like that. Am I correct? No. Oh, all right. It's a lot of sitting in a car doing, um, I guess, stakeouts, which sounds really cool until you're actually sitting there waiting for someone to come out of a house, not knowing when or if they're coming out. And then if you're lucky, they come out and you get to follow them. If you're not lucky, they don't come out. And then you spend the whole day thinking, well, when did they come out? Like, maybe they got out. But people don't leave their house sometimes. Um, but usually, like, the kind of cases I do are everything from, like, domestic cases, but it's, like, some other stuff. But usually it's insurance cases. So, like, insurance fraud, workman's comp. Hey, is this guy walking with a limp because he says his leg is broken? That kind of stuff. And usually it involves driving by myself to somewhere, usually, like, an hour or so into, like, a bad neighborhood, sitting in the car, and then just staring at a door, hoping someone comes out, hoping that they look like they do in their picture, (laughs) <laughs> and trying to figure out where to go to the bathroom and when. And that's the day-to-day of it. Where do you go to the bathroom? Um, what I do is um, my parents drink, like, because uh, I still have my parents because I made a feature film. Um, <laughs> they buy Arnold Palmer by, like, the gallon. <laughs> so I found those to be the best for that kind of business. Then the other kind of business um, uh, you just either don't get to do or, you know, try to find a Barnes & Noble. <laughs> very specific (laughs) very specific which by the way out here doesn't apply i've learned but we don't need to get into that okay good Uh, have you done a lot of stakeouts out here in los angeles never no but i went to a barnes and noble today (laughs) with another person who was in a similar predicament and uh there was already like a lot of people in there with the same idea and it wasn't quite as nice as the ones i guess out on the east coast That's very... That's, wow. What is it about Barnes & Noble that makes you just... Usually they're clean bathrooms. Okay. Um, the store's so big that they kind of don't look at you weird if you're not buying anything. And usually they have multiple stalls so you can go peacefully. And it's usually not super busy. But today um, we stopped by the one by LAX. 
Oh, well, there's and a problem right that there. Was, yeah, that was bad news. We were going, we were actually on our way to a Whole Foods, my friend that was driving from around here, and Whole Foods was the plan, but then a Barnes & Noble came first, and he had to go more than me, and I said, oh, let's go there, and sure enough, it was it was bad. I, I don't know how much detail to go yeah, into. Yeah, we don't need to go into much more than that. I know much more. Um, so wait, what about, uh, back, to, the, back yeah. to your job, not that part of your job, um, what about philandering husbands? Are you following husbands around to see if they're being faithful to their wives every not that often but there was one time where it was one of the few times it was actually interesting was this guy is following him into like pennsylvania somewhere and since so like legally speaking we can't put like spyware on someone's computer we can't put a tracker on their car however if they have a husband or wife or someone or if it's a company car you can do that okay so we had a tracker on this person's car and we also had access to what he was looking at on his laptop so I was kind of following him around, didn't really see anything interesting. And my dad's my boss. It's the family business, which is how I got into it. And he, like, gave me the information to check on my laptop. So I'm sitting in the parking lot of the hotel, and I saw him looking up a very specific genre of prostitute uh-huh. in great detail. And uh-huh. all. so I, I did see that, and I, didn't see, I don't think I, I did not see a prostitute that night, which I, I was hoping to, like, catch that. But that's probably as interesting as any of those cases have gotten. There was also... Um, there's this one woman who hires us pretty much monthly to check up on her ex-husband. He's a CEO at a big company in New York, and he's involved with another CEO from somewhere else. And she has us follow them, or at least that's what she thought for years. And for years, monthly, we would go after them and look for them, and we'd never catch anything. Like Usually, we'd be following the woman, and this woman's ex-husband would never show up. And then sure enough, this year, we finally caught them like together doing stuff. But even so, I, I don't know where that's going. It's it's crazy because like, it's pretty much, as far as I know, it's illegal to stalk someone. But you can <laughs> hire someone else to do it and get away with it. Like, it makes no sense to me. But I, I haven't seen, like, the only other sort of interesting thing that's ever happened, it was on the 4th of July, like, of 2013. I went down to, uh, like, a swampy part of New Jersey where... There were like it was the kind of road where you had to drive down like a couple of miles to get to the houses, and there's only one way there. And I was following this like bodybuilder guy. I don't I don't remember why I had to follow him. And he was like picking up his kid, and you know I was following him around. He went to like a gas station, so I parked across the street, got video of him doing whatever, and nothing too weird was happening. But then he got away from me by like a lot, and I thought it was weird, so I just kept driving on like one of the two main roads in town. And I noticed he's following me. So he followed me for about 15 minutes, and he's like a huge dude, and I hit at least one red light where I thought he was going to come out and go after me, uh-huh. which thankfully he didn't. But so I went, to, I purposely went and found like a toll road, and thankfully he didn't want to pay for it, but he called the cops and everything. So that was sort of fun in the sense that like I thought I was going to die for a minute, because <laughs> despite how I sound, I'm not too big of a dude, and this guy was real <laughs> jacked up and roided out with um, tattoos and everything, and yeah, he called the police, and then we kind of had to explain what it was. And what sucks about when that happens, it's not as much that the cops really care. It's just that you kind of lose the case. So, like, usually you get hired to do a certain amount of hours over a certain amount of days, and that's kind of how you make money. If you get burnt, you kind of lose potential earnings. Right. So. right. Do you have uh, an inside guy on the force who slips you information? Mm. I don't, but I know... <sighs> Okay, I, let's pretend my dad's not my boss. My dad's a retired police officer. Oh, okay. So he has connections, and with license plates, you could find out 
things. And he could do background checks. I, I'm assuming that's all legal, at least, to some extent. <laughs> like I, what you have to understand, too, is, because um, I know my dad's not going to listen to this, and if he did, he wouldn't get this far in. Um, I kind of approached that job. I feel job. like I'm insulted. I feel like we are pretty dynamic and charismatic, yeah. very he, listenable. He watches one movie a year, maybe, and you never know what movie it will be. Last oh, year, it's not it the was same the, movie every year. Last year, it was the Blu-ray of Caddyshack, which we watched <laughs> as a family, and uh, that doesn't hold up well, is what I've learned. Yeah. And uh, one year, though, it was a, a Fantastic movie. Mr. Fox held his attention on Christmas one year, which That's was a good sort one. of cool. But anyway, he... Um, so yeah, kind of the way if you ever had a job at like a convenience store or something when you're like 16 and you kind of didn't care. I'm not saying that's how I am, but um, <laughs> maybe most of the time I kind of approach it like that. Like I'm not trying to do this for a living. I kind of just do it because it's really flexible with when I have to do film stuff. And it, you know, it, it pays a little better per hour as opposed to going for a day rate and whatnot. Well, that sounds like a good transition into film stuff. Let's talk about The Bloody Mess and The Backseat. That's two different movies. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not one title. And by the way, we might... Uh, a moment ago when we were talking about Barnes & Noble and we tried to head away from that, we might be heading back towards that area for a moment. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's yeah, talk about Yeah, these movies... It. Trigger warning. Yeah. It's, there you go. <laughs> there you go. So, yeah. Uh, so, tell us... Let's start with uh, a, a bloody mess. W- tell us what it's about and where did it and where did it come from? Okay. Um, I'll do it in the reverse order of that. Watch out. So, when I started doing, like, film things in high school and the beginning of film school, I kind of just tried to make stuff up and, like, oh, this would be interesting or funny and just completely not based on my own life. And just like any screenwriting class, they advised to, like, you know, write about an experience that's for you. That's something that happened. And when I was in high school, I had hemorrhoids when I was 16. And I guess I told the story in the class because, like, we had to pitch what we were writing about. And for some reason, the teacher was really supportive about it. So I wrote that into a short film and it was basically kind of dealing with that. And also just more more exaggerated, of course. And then, yeah, I made a movie about having hemorrhoids and high school friends and what it's like <laughs> having a, you know, having to get surgery for that when you're 16 years old and having to go in and deal with other 16 year olds. So that was a bloody mess. And that was like the first short film I did that wasn't like unwatchable. Like you could look at it and maybe not turn it off. So there's that one. And then, um, yeah, with the, the backseat, the feature that I'm playing at festivals and stuff right now. That was part of that's part of it. That's kind of like, I guess, the setup for the movie. It leads to a meet cute. And I just kind of learned that the more autobiographical it goes, kind of the more interesting it was. Not that I, I think I'm so interesting, but the more specific the perspective is, the more relatable things become at the same time. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of more of that, but goes beyond just the hemorrhoids. Like, it's not a movie just about hemorrhoids. Just for uh, uh just for a moment, there was something as I was watching uh, a bloody mess. There was a, a bit of casting that uh, that always struck me as interesting, and I do not remember his name, but I believe he played the coach, and he has also been in a number of other things, yeah. including Oz and briefly in the Avengers. A lot of Boardwalk Empire, yes, season one and yes, two. Yes. Yeah. Uh, what is that actor's name again? Robert Clohesse. Yeah, and uh, how did you how did you get him for you know a short film about hemorrhoids? About <laughs> hemorrhoids, yes. When I sent, so I, when I started writing that script, I, a lot of people encouraged me to show it to other people in my school's film department. Mm-hmm. And the chair of the film department at the time 
Reddit, and he was making this movie about the porn industry out of all things. And since this sense of humor in that was kind of immature dick joke type thing, he had me rewrite this section of the movie that he was reshooting because he was able to get Ron Jeremy for a weekend. Hmm. And basically the deal was if I rewrote this section of this movie about the porn industry with Ron Jeremy, he would cover my budget for casting and use some of his own connections. So he was able to put us in touch with like an actual casting director from Long Island who then got us Robert Clohesse, who's in a ton of stuff to basically be a gym teacher that makes fun of the main character's hemorrhoids. So yeah. <laughs> it was very strange having like, you know, a character actor who works in the industry just yeah. making fun of a problem I had in high school. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So, uh, the story of, of the backseat, I mean, it, that's, that's sort of, <laughs> just talk through it. I don't think the people can oh. hear it. I don't think they can even hear it. Okay. It was over for a moment. Sorry. Uh, my, I, my neighbors, uh, will often let their, uh, car alarms just go on as though no one can hear it and it bothers the hell out of me uh so in regards to the back seat the whole i apologize for it's weird when you know that this comes from you personally yeah. so i apologize to be speaking about your hemorrhoids i'm sure everything's fine now um how are you so sure uh I guess wishful thinking. I hope it's fine now. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Just uh force of will maybe. <laughs> um but yeah, uh I know that that plays a smaller yeah. role. What what is it that made you feel like like why is the back seat even related to a bloody mess at all? Because I realized as I was writing it, I was writing it as something totally separate, which mm -hmm. there's like a turn that the movie takes probably like 45 minutes to an hour end where it becomes less of like, you know, a comedy and just a little more serious. Mm -hmm. And I realized I was writing the same characters and I still didn't explain how the main character met his like love interest. And I kind of figured out like the perfect way for them to meet and instantly be connected and I guess we're going where that goes, but they, they yeah. meet after they both it's implied that she had it too, but he had um, surgery to get rid of the ruptured hemorrhoid and she walks in on him while he's looking at it in the mirror, like just to see what happened after the surgery. <laughs> and I thought that like, you know, that's a really interesting place for two people to meet each other. You're very exposed. And I thought it was a good way to have a connection because it, it's a movie about like kind of a high school relationship that doesn't work. You know, they're not meant for each other at all throughout any point of the movie. They kind of bond over what music they like and sure they like each other, but that's about it. And I just thought that was a really interesting place for them to come together. Well, I, but that's the thing is I've heard from such films as Garden State that music that you have in common is enough <laughs> and everything will work out just fine. Right. That's the first thing I look for in a in a potential in a date. Absolutely, like, hey, do you have any music that'll right. change my life? Right, you know, that'll there make be, me believe in God or some other horseshit. There should be a Tinder, except for instead of the person's picture, <laughs> it's like their most recently played Spotify playlist. Oh boy. <laughs> Oh jeez, hang on now. Uh, all right, Let's, I'm going to edit that part out. I could say something about Tinder if you want right now. What do you have to say about Tinder? Is there all a right. Tinder for hemorrhoids? No, no. But um, so my movie doesn't have anyone in it that anyone's ever heard of, and we're playing mostly smaller festivals in smaller markets. So to like kind of promote these screenings, because you could go all the way out to a festival, and doesn't mean people are going to come, especially mm -hmm. when you're a feature that's on the long side for a festival feature, like an hour and forty four minutes for 
a festival features like it's like bringing Lawrence of Arabia. Right. Like they want stuff that's like 80 minutes. Yeah. So to get people to go, we were doing everything from one of my producers is very active on Reddit. He gets a lot of people to go through there. So I started using Tinder to promote it. They have this feature <laughs> where you can like um, basically post images for up to 24 hours that people would see. And it's got people to go. And it's really uncomfortable and awful, especially because the movie does. It's not like you watch the movie and you're like, oh, the guy who made this, I want to meet him. Like usually <laughs> it's not that effect. But it, it's been somewhat successful. So for any filmmakers that might be listening, wait, no, walk. How are you doing this? Yeah, how are you? Okay, so you go on Tinder, uh-huh. and you know it has the the swiping, basically shallow shit. But you can see what other things they have in common on Facebook. So if it's anyone with movie stuff, I automatically go right, and I'll do this like on any downtime I have when the movie plays at a festival in a city I'm not from. And then they have this thing called moments where it's almost like posting a picture on Facebook or Instagram or whatever, but it's only up for 24 hours and you can put like a caption. So usually I'll promote the movie. And then sometimes that starts a conversation with someone. And then I'm like, oh, it's playing here. You should come. And it's worked before where people have came. And sometimes they'll say something to me there and it's really uncomfortable. And then when the movie played in Scotland a few weeks ago, someone came and didn't say anything to me then, but afterwards messaged me. <laughs> and it was really weird, but it's it works and it's kind of fun, assuming like you don't have a significant other that would be bothered by that. Right. But, yeah, I was thinking like, hey, we can get some listeners. Oh, shoot. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay. Hang on. So what, do they – are they coming to this thing – for the purpose of meeting you. Oh, probably because I'm so handsome on Tinder, clearly. <laughs> I, hey, I don't know. I mean, yeah. uh, from their perspective, from their perspective, like they, they swiped a certain way, whatever. And they yeah. said, I got to I, I got to know this guy. And, uh, oh, he made a movie. Great. We can go and and we'll bond over this movie that he made. And little <laughs> do they know that you don't have any interest in them at all. Hey, I didn't say I had wanna... no interest. Okay. All right. I could, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm a young guy. I haven't you're had traveling yeah, the world around. of these fest- festivals. You're probably, yeah, you're yeah. running around. You're playing the field. Yeah, playing the field. every port. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a different one in every port. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's not what I was thinking of when you said that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, millennials. Um all right. Uh, uh, do you want me to do the next ad because you're laughing too hard? Uh, no, you should do it because I don't I know. I do like when we uh, when we really emphasize how old we're getting, David. Um, <laughs> but you brought up what do, what do you know about Tinder? You just got married, like that only became like a big thing in the last maybe year. Honestly, or less. I I uh, I read a GQ article about the guys who founded Tinder. That's what I really know about. Are it. they dicks? Uh, yeah, totally. Okay. <laughs> that was like the thrust of the article was that like um, most like social network apps uh, that you that you find are invented by people who are like socially inept. Yeah. And Tinder is the first one to have been invented by the kind of douchebags who wouldn't need the other like the people who didn't need other ways of meeting people. Yeah. An article could uh, an article, sorry, an argument could be made that they are socially inept <laughs> just in a more socially acceptable way. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um so yeah, uh yeah, here is our uh our last one everybody ever. Okay, maybe. Uh once everyone gets tired of this and stops listening. Um this episode is also sponsored by the Double Feature podcast this week talking about uh now I want to say Michael Haneke, but are we saying Michelle? I forget how what the official not, thing is. It's not, not Michelle because there's an A in it. And he's also not French. Is okay, it Mikhail? Okay. Mikhail? Yeah. It might be Mikhail Haneke. Okay. I don't know, though. 
All right. I'm, you know, I'm going to stick with Michael until so, listeners correct me, please. Um, please do. But don't be a jerk. Tyler about it. at battleshippretension.com. Thank you very much. Uh, Michael Haneke's cachet and now here's another one Donald Camel or Camel. It's two M's, two L's. I'm going to say Camel. Okay, that sounds good. Donald Camel's Demon Seed. Love it. Two films about people unsafe in their own homes. Now, uh, I've not seen Cachet. David, you have also not seen I it. I have not seen Cachet. Uh, Ryan? Nope. All right, so that's three strikes, we're out. Right. But... but at least two of us has, have seen Demon Seed. Have yeah. you seen Demon Seed? Oh, right. you're missing out. Well, you've got to listen to this double feature episode, sounds like. Absolutely. Uh, it's it's a It stars Julie Christie and the voice of Robert Vaughn being creepy as hell. Right. Uh, I'm a big fan of... I really enjoyed Demon Seed when it's we watched it. It's yeah. cheesy. It's yeah. super cheesy. Uh, and it's like any... We watched it in our science fiction vision... Hang on. Science fiction visions of a post-human future or... Sci-fi viz of a post hum fut. That's the one. It was called in the course catalog. Um, but do you know? Here's what Demon Seed has done to me. Okay. Now I, there's so little you can say about Gone Girl that isn't like a spoiler, so I'm not going to say much. But there's a part where one character is saying to another character, "There, there are heated floors." And my first thought was, "Watch out." <laughs> because <laughs> like heated floors are like scary to me now because of Demon Seed. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> oh, t- you can't trust them. The, you know. That's one of the things that terrify me about Tremors. Like, what? I can't hover above the ground. What choices do I have? But yeah, so they do talk about. Uh, at the very least, you can hear them talk about Demon Seed in more in more depth, uh, as well as Cache. So uh, to listen, just click on the ad at battleshippretension.com. All right. Okay. So now, we've talked about a bloody mess. We talked about the back seat. Oh, we haven't talked completely about the back seat. Okay. Let's keep going. Let's because keep going uh, so you know you're you're making the rounds. You're doing well at festivals. You just won something. By doing well, you mean notches in the bedpost, right? Exactly. Notches. <laughs> oh, um, I don't like the. He just winked at me, and I don't like it at all. I'm, I can't make eye contact for the rest of the episode. Um, but uh, but you just won something, right? Yes. What did you win? We won best comedy film at the 2014 Laughlin international film festival it's in nevada yeah it's like a little vegas except right. uh it's on the border of arizona and there's a pretty river yeah so yeah it was cool it's it was a, also it's the subject of a very short-lived tv show called viva laughlin that's right which was a remake of a british tv show called viva blackpool so All right. <laughs> um but yeah and so uh but i was when i because uh, we're we're Facebook friends, and so I regularly see you know you bouncing from one film festival to the next, and uh, and it's first off, it's really great that that the film is getting some recognition that people are are inviting you guys to to come along. Um, but I want to get into some of the film production mm-hmm. um, because we do have a fair number of uh, independent filmmakers on the show, and everybody has a different. There, there tends to be common threads, but they all have, you know, their own specific stories about like how this went well, but this didn't. Do you have any not not even horror stories, like, but just stories of the production of the backseat in which things went like exactly the way you wanted to, or very much the opposite? Okay, so I don't think anything goes exactly how you want it to, even if you're David Fincher and you think that everything's perfect or strive for some level of perfection, because ultimately it's people doing the nuts and bolts of your movie. It's people in front of the camera. And as much as you can imagine that, you don't know how they're going to do something. And maybe that's why it does like 97 takes of a scene or whatever. But um, 
Yeah, so going into this movie, I gave myself a year to make it from when I graduated film school. So like, I didn't care if the script was necessarily ready. I just knew I would only be able to get certain resources, such as people who are freshly out of film school who haven't either given up on film or received like you know jobs in the industry. So I went into it kind of knowing that not everything would go as planned, and sure enough, it didn't. Um, for example, we had money fall through a number of times. There were two weeks left of filming. We ran out of money. I looked into selling my, I guess, kidney, which I didn't know was illegal. I, I didn't think it was going to be a real loss, but I really looked into it. And just, yeah, money ran out. There were The one thing that I guess wasn't really stressed enough by other filmmakers, and I guess when you have money, you can fire crew members or cast members, but you kind of have to pick your crew just the same way you would pick your cast when there's little to no money involved. Like, you basically, you have to get to know the people you're working with. And I, I don't want to go too in detail, but there there is at least one person who throughout production was a problem and I couldn't replace them partially because they weren't really getting paid so well. Like, I, who would I replace them with? And also it would have caused problems with other members of the crew. Like, if he was gone, would they stay? So I, I don't think there's enough talk about how important that is. It's not just your collaborators necessarily like your editor or cinematographer it's other people like one bad attitude from someone on set can ruin everything especially Mm -hmm. when your crew is like six or seven people Mm -hmm. so like that that was a huge learning curve and also knowing how someone else's mood and your own mood could affect how well you you know shoot a scene and then having to basically produce a lot of the movie myself while filming like what do you do when you run out of money and you still have to cover a scene, but you know that you're not going to have money to like feed everyone the next day? It's very hard to focus in that situation. So I feel like that's like one of the struggles that isn't talked about. With that said, I got really lucky with my main cast, especially the guys in the they play in like a punk band in the movie called uh, Witness My Jehovah. And what we did was we cast we looked for actors that could play music. But that wasn't all we were looking for. So the actors we ended up going with, we went with the better actors over the better musicians. So they well, had a punk band, so they don't. Yeah, they didn't have to be good yeah, exactly. in, in high school. Yeah, they, yeah. they did not have to be good. And also, I knew on the recordings it would be me and my friends actually playing the music. So they just had to look like they knew what they were doing. And when we cast them, there were three guys that didn't know each other before. I hadn't known them at all, and I had I made them have band practice about two or three times a week in the month leading up to production. And while that didn't really make them any good at the instruments they had to learn, they became really close with each other, and there's this natural chemistry, and they were just so open, and it was easy to get them to do things. And they would do things that, like, you know, I think other actors wouldn't be comfortable, like, they would need to talk about maybe touching each other, whatever, not in, like, a gross way, but just, like, usually you kind of say it, but they were so comfortable that they just really, like, bonded, and it was really something special with them. And I think that was something that went pretty much exactly how as good as it could have that's awesome and it's also surprising for such a low budget movie that you had time for essentially rehearsal yeah well i didn't even the thing about it was i was with them their first band practice i gave them equipment because like i was in bands throughout high school so like i borrowed a drum set from someone and then gave them some amps a guitar and bass and they did it on their own so they spent basically a month where they were at the uh the guy who plays the drummer costa he had like um kind of like a bigger apartment in Queens. So like they all went out there and they did it without me. So it's just Uh like, I I just needed them to look like they knew what they were doing, but they tried their hardest to actually play the songs and they come close sometimes. And in the movie, you could kind of tell if you're a musician, especially it's like, they're not playing that right, (laughs) but they really just bonded. And it was, I don't think it was 
like if I had money, I'm sure they would have obviously still done it. But without there being like a ton of money or anything involved, I think it was really just because they were at that right age where they're all ready. It was their first feature for each of them. So they were just as on board as I was. And I I wish I kind of took that kind of preparation maybe with certain other people who worked on the movie. And not to say that making it was a horrible experience, but it's just not, you don't hear about like someone behind the scenes making it hell unless it's a studio or, you know, an A-list actor. But it could be anyone can kind of ruin a shoot for you. Do you think that person has listened to this podcast? No, but (laughs) I think someone could and then relay it to them. And it's, and it's not just one person. There's other people. What what I learned, too, especially in, like, the time since the movie. So, like, we filmed in the summer of 2012. Post-production, I did all the editing and, like, assistant editor stuff myself. So I was syncing up sound for, like, a month afterwards. So it took, like, seven or eight months to just get the movie cut and picture locked. And then by the time it started playing festivals, which is early this year, I think a lot of people that worked on it sort of thought it wasn't going to be anything or it wouldn't get finished because it, uh-huh. it barely came together. Like, like we missed little scenes that were in the script for whatever reason and didn't do reshoots or anything. Like it's just, that was never an option financially. So I think people sort of, I don't want to say they gave up on it because they always believed it in some way, but when it started to get out there, I think they were sort of surprised. And then you get like another wave of expectations or I don't want to say nastiness because that sounds a lot meaner, but where people think that because it's playing at these film festivals, like, Oh, this guy's going around. Like he must be, you know, have it made the movie's gonna get out there it's like no i'm kind of paying for that myself like i'm not moving out of my parents house probably for like another year or two because of this right but there's this i don't know like i think there's this belief that oh this movie's playing at film festivals and winning awards it's got to be doing so well they got to be making money and like there's no money in this and if you talk to like any independent filmmakers like their first film like there's no money like even with distribution offers like they're not these days they're not offering anything up front they're offering you on the back end and with that there's all sorts of marketing expenses and everything and it's like i kind of had to come to the conclusion a while ago it's like i will never make money off this movie and i'm kind of okay with that but other people they see the movie doing okay they think money's involved all of a sudden i know it's just people ask for things that you never talked about and it's i don't know and maybe i was naive in some of the ways of making the movie to not be ready for that but I think that's like kind of a shitty side of filmmaking on this level that's never discussed. Wow. And maybe it's because people will hear it and be like, what the fuck are you talking about me for? But it, it's strange because it's hard. You know, it's not like a big success. People haven't heard of it. And people well, get, now they have. People get weird. Once they they listen to this about. podcast. Yeah. The whole BP audience. Yeah. Most of the country. Just yeah, the country. The, yeah, most the, of the world listens the to the continental podcast. United States. At least. Uh, <laughs> they humble. hate us in Alaska for some reason. Um, yeah, I, what I was going to ask is um, uh, a couple things. First off, um, are you working on anything right now, or are you just focused on publicity and film festivals? But are is it mostly that, or are you like writing something? Like, are you working on your next project? Yeah, I'm definitely working on the next thing. There's a feature that I'm going to be doing in Texas at the end of next year called The Lost Year. Um, it's kind of uh, a sad comedy, I guess, that gets into the world of online day, which is part of how Tinder became appealing uh-huh. to me with this. And it gets into like someone who never drank before drinking at like the age of like 22 after college is over dealing with like an awful breakup and just kind of putting themselves back together over the span of a year. 
So I've been writing that, and we'll be doing that in Texas because one of the film festivals, uh, the Victoria, Texas Independent Film Festival, they have this thing called the Victoria, Texas Film Incentive, and they give it out to three, three or so filmmakers every year, where basically there was this philanthropist, which I can never say right, that in that town that donated a bunch of equipment to uh, the town of Victoria and the guy who runs that film festival. So every year they give it out to three or so filmmakers where you got this incentive. If you film your movie down there, they'll give you the equipment for free. So basically I have like 90% of the production resources I would need there. So it's much easier to raise money for a movie when you have that. And also that town is really supportive of the arts. So I'll be filming a movie in Texas next year. So I kind of adjusted the script. I think when we got the incentive, I had a bit of an outline and it was going to take place between like a suburban town in New Jersey and like uh, Brooklyn, New York. So now it's Austin, Texas, small town, Victoria. And you had to throw some y'alls in there. Yeah, of course. Tammy Taylor. Hey, (laughs) (laughs) y'all. That's fantastic. Um, That was uh, was some really interesting stuff there about um, making low-budget movies that I hadn't thought about. I wish we had more time. I was. I want more of it. Yeah, we we do have a a bit of a hard out. Yeah, because you um, are going to the airport from here. Yes. Where are you going? Right out of here. I am going. So I kind of made these travel plans poorly. Because um, I had frequent flyer miles, so I booked my flight back from here to Jersey, like, before I booked my flight out here. So after I booked that, I found out we got into a film festival in Orlando. This That's this week. So I looked into canceling my flight, and it would cost me almost $200. Uh-huh. So pretty much I'm flying back to New Jersey, and then tomorrow afternoon, evening, I'm flying to Florida with my parents, who I'm bringing along with me to Orlando, because... I feel like that's a place to bring them. Are you going to go to the Wizarding World of Harry Potter? I believe so, yeah. I think we're going to be able to do... We only have... With the way the schedule works with the festival and everything, we're probably only going to get to go once. And uh, my parents don't want to, like, do, like, the multiple park thing. So right now I'm kind of trying to pick between which one to go to because I could go to Islands of Adventure, which has, like, the older Wizarding World of Harry Potter, which I haven't seen yet. And then Universal Studios, which has, I guess, Diagon Alley and the Simpsons right. stuff. So it's kind of a tough decision. I haven't been to either. I would, I would start with the, I would go to the original. Yeah, I, I've been to yeah. Universal Studios and Islands of Adventure. But yeah, the original Harry Potter, yeah, I haven't seen any of the Harry Potter stuff. And yeah. I think, like, I'm, I'm not the biggest fan of those movies, but I would love to go to a theme park set to that world. Well, so are you, are you like some kind of jerk? Because <laughs> yes. you don't like those movies? Yes. So, Come obviously, uh, we knew this is where this episode would end up, talking mm-hmm. about Harry Potter. Indeed. Harry Potter. And also, so, okay, uh, so this will be going up this Sunday. Mm-hmm. Uh, is the film playing uh, anywhere anytime soon that people can go see it? Orlando, There's, sounds like. Orlando. Orlando's this weekend, so okay. that'll yeah. be so, have missed pass. it. Yeah. Okay. Um, it'll be playing at the... At a film festival in Pacific Grove, California, December 14th or 15th. And that film festival, I cannot remember the name of, but right. I want to say it's the Monarch Film Festival. That's what it is, a small okay. festival, Pacific Grove. I think I might come out for it because it's going to be our last festival screening. So. All right. And then are there any digital online mm-hmm. on um, demand what i can uh, say is there's there's been there should be some news with that in the next month or two and where could people uh stay tuned to to catch that news okay uh facebook.com slash the backseat movie and then twitter at the bloody mess you'll see my tweets and yeah all right well this was a lot of fun um 
you listeners can find uh, me and Tyler at battleshippretension.com. That's where you find all of our uh, all of our podcasts as well as all of our movie reviews and other articles and videos and things that we like to post. Um, you can email us at david at battleshippretension.com or tyler at battleshippretension.com. You can follow me, David, on Twitter at ThePretension. You can follow Tyler at TylerPretension. Uh, you have to follow both of us to get credit for following Battleship Retention on Twitter. Yeah. You don't just think you can follow one of us and there you're done. If you want to follow Battleship Retention on Twitter, you got to do two you follows. Gotta, you got to get the full experience. Exactly. You know. Um, your other podcast is called More Than One, Le- More Than One Lesson. It's at morethanonelesson.com. What's going yeah. on over there? Well, uh, we are uh, smack dab in the middle of Halloween times. And by the, t- by the time this goes up, there will be two new episodes. uh within one week to make up for uh, the week I was in Chicago. Uh, the first will be about Adam Wingard's The Guest, and the second will be about Jim Jarmusch's Only Lovers Left Alive. Awesome. And then there will be, coming up, there will be an episode about The Conjuring, which I have not yet seen, but I am assured will work really well for more than one lesson. <laughs> um, and Josh is actually sitting that one out because he thinks the film will uh, get to him. You think it's a little scary, scary? Yes. Um, it'll, <laughs> all right. Um, I appreciated that. Uh, my other podcast, which you can find at battleshipretention.com, is a TV uh, discussion podcast. It's called Hey, Watch This with Paul and, I'm sorry, it's called Hey, Watch This with Paul and David. That's um, the king of, king of TV, Paul Goble. This week, we are talking about the return of newsreaders with a different host. And we are talking about the premiere of Constantine, which I already saw at Comic-Con and is terrible. Um, So uh, you can find that. uh, That's Hey, Watch This. Uh, So that's it. Um, Ryan, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. This is so much fun. Great times. (laughs) I don't think you you don't. I feel like you don't agree that it was a good time. Oh, no, I agree. I I should throw out. I've been listening to the show for like seven years. I know. That's a lot of pressure. So I just want to bring this up for listeners. So one of the, I guess this was within the first year I was listening to it. You went through a breakup and acknowledged it on air. Oh, right. And now you're happy and married. Now I'm happily married. An adult. So that's cool and really sort of inspiring in a weird way. Although that sounded like a mean joke. Yeah, yeah, but it's true. Our lives are very different. We talked about this at like when we got to the 350th mm. episode about how much. Now we're coming up on 400. Yeah, almost a year later uh, about how much our lives have changed. But yeah. yeah, I didn't have the job I had. I have. I didn't live in the apartment I lived in. I didn't have the wife I have. I didn't have the dog. I, I had the cat. Pretty much the cat yeah. and most of my DVD collection are all the only things that are still. The yeah. same from when we started this podcast until now. Yeah, I was I was married. You're still married. And I'm still married. So, <laughs> so far, so good. All right. So, um, thank you for being here, Ryan. Uh, thank you at home for listening. We'll get you next time. Bye. Bye. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet. 